Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to Straight from the Gold Mouth. This week, we have star defenseman for the PLL Water Dogs, Brian Carolunas. Brian, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with us and talk a little lacrosse. You got it, guys. So, Brian, can you think of a drill that maybe you didn't enjoy either growing up or earlier on in your career, but right now you realize how important it was uh, in your ultimate development? Yeah. The, the, the first one that comes to mind for me is, uh, is no stick one ones. So as a defensive guy, I preach always footwork, right? Everything's about footwork here all the time. And, and I think as my career's kind of advanced, you know, I've started to become uh, known more as a takeaway guy throwing checks. But the only reason that's possible, I think, is because of how many hours of countless no stick one ones I had to do growing up. And so had a coach, Coach Dale, and I had a, uh, a guy named Coach uh, Bob Elmer coached at James Old DeWitt, where I went to high school. And he was a huge advocate of no stick one one. So every practice we'd start off having to take our first few dodges, defending with nubs. And uh, total pain to get smoked by an offensive guy when you're having a nub and you can't wind up and you realize you have nothing on the end of your stick to hit him with. But it gets your feet so good. And I'm so thankful for, for having done that drill so much because when you get a stick back in your hand, it just feels easy after you get used to those. That's great. Speaking of your advancement in your career, you know, certainly you've played at all levels now and, you know, two different professional leagues. Can you tell us a little bit about the expansion draft and what it was like to get picked eighth overall to go to the Water Dogs? And, you know, is that excitement? Is it disappointment? Is it, you know, what's kind of the process you go through with that? It's definitely excitement. So we got a notification. The PLL reached out, said we're expanding, and they kind of gave the, uh, the rundown of how they were going to do protected rosters. And so what they did is I think you can only keep or protect 10 guys. And so everyone else was going to get released into this player pool. And so everyone knew pretty early on that there was going to be a lot of good talent um, that was left. And so I talked to, to coach Nat over at the Redwoods who I've had a great relationship with. I've been playing for him for about five years now and explained the situation totally understood. And then uh, as soon as they announced the protected rosters, uh, coach Copeland reached out to me just a couple of days later and um, started talking about, you know, just my future in, in lacrosse and, and uh, my thoughts on the upcoming season and my thoughts on being a water dog. And so I was thrilled about it. And, you know, you look at some of the, you know, some of the talent that's left over just as a, a product of, of having so few guys being able to protect it. And we're, we're just so deep. I mean, you know, one thing in particular I'm looking forward to on the defensive end is, you know, Brody Merrill's been a, been a you know, kind of someone I've looked up to my entire career. I remember as a little kid watching him when he was at Georgetown to dominate the middle of the field and something that I tried to emulate. And so finally getting the chance to plan on a defensive line with him, I've never had that opportunity. I couldn't be more excited uh, for that. And, and you look from, you know, first guy on the roster down to last guy on the roster. And it's just amazing how much, how much depth our, our team is going to have. And um, which didn't know particularly important now that we've kind of readjusted to this tournament style playing, you know, however many games in, in just a short period of time. So, Brian, you're talking about that tournament later this summer with uh, the PLL, and we actually had Rick Beardsley on two weeks ago who alluded that something might be coming down the pipe similar to that. How do you prepare for that amount of games in such a short period of time? And can you tell us a little bit about maybe, you know, physical training or team training or what kind of your, your process that you're looking forward to getting ready for that tournament? Yeah, it's a good question. I'll start with a quick side note. I listened to the, the episode with, with RB, man, always an entertainer. Uh, he was, funny enough, one of my first defensive coaches. Uh, so he, uh, that kind of, kind of swag that he has on the field, he definitely tried <laughs> to uh, pass that on to his defenseman and something that I've tried to pick up on. As well, I remember you definitely in high school had a, you had the dangle going and you were able to, you know, weave through some guys and had a little bit of that swag. So I definitely yeah. think <laughs> did a good job with it. 
I still thought I was playing hockey back then. The only reason I danced, I didn't know how to cradle like I was supposed to. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that's a great question. So we, we just found players just found out this week too, um, what the new format is. And so it's going to be a little bit different, right? Like in certain ways, it kind of more resembles like what you're used to playing youth and high school ball when you go to those tournaments, which is like somehow preparing to play multiple games in a short period of time. And, you know, it doesn't phase you when you're, you know, 18 and, and, and run for days. But I think preparing now is going to be a little bit different and something that I'm going to try to figure out. You know, what I, like what I mentioned in my last uh, answer is, is the team depth is going to be huge. But in terms of, of, of individual preparation, I think, you know, what my initial plan is, is, you know, start at least about four weeks out, start focusing even more heavily on conditioning than I otherwise would have just to try to get my lungs up and ready for, for kind of, you know, kind of competing and battling in, in that heat. And, and that's another thing that, that I'm really kind of have to start prepping for is, is somehow, I don't know what the answer is, maybe throwing on a hoodie when I'm doing sprints in, in June, but uh, just getting used to that heat and, and kind of that, that wear and tear that's going to take on your body. Um, so I'm still trying to figure that out myself, what it's going to look like from a, from a you know training perspective leading up to that. Well, I know Coach Beardsley was excited about the uh, potential exposure that the PLL would get just being able to provide live sports this summer. It's got to be exciting for the players to, to know that they're, you're going to be able to put out a good product for uh, just kids everywhere being able to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. You know, obviously, no one, uh, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir with you guys with, with, with your college seasons. Uh, no one wants to be in this position with seasons getting canceled um, and, you know, seasons getting shortened or not happening at all. And obviously, I feel the same way about our, 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 the PLL season. You know, I've been training all year and was looking forward to going to training camp and uh, would have been next week. And obviously, that, that didn't happen. But to your point, I mean, it is an opportunity. I think people are just craving live entertainment right now and so uh, in sports, no matter what it is. And so I think the way the PLL looks at it and the players are looking at it is we're going to be on TV and it's a live sporting event. And even for people who have never touched a lacrosse stick or never heard of the game, the fact of the matter is it's better than watching, you know, reruns of family matters or whatever you get on TV. So <laughs> it's a chance for, it's a chance for, for the sport, I think to just really get some national spotlight, like it's not like it's never had before. And, you know, to be a part of that and try to put on the best product possible is, is I, I mean, I'm, I'm personally pumped. So I think, I think it's going to be great. Now, Brian, if we're talking to maybe some younger guys that are just going into college or maybe they're already in college, but they have aspirations to become a pro lacrosse player. Obviously, I know you do a couple other things outside of just being on the, in the PLL. What advice do you have for those guys that are trying to make it? And, you know, how do you balance work life with also, you know, having your full summer kind of taken up by lacrosse? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, what I do now isn't much different than, than what, what your guys' student-athletes campus uh, when they're at school which is you got to find a way of balancing your academics or when you get out your, your work life with, with training. And so the way that I kind of approach it is, is I really like to, to schedule my day pretty strictly in terms of what I'm focusing on at the time. So, you know, the way I look at it is, is in the morning, that's typically when I do my training and from whenever I wake up to whenever I start training. So, you know, whatever it is called six to seven thirty, six to eight, whatever the case is, Right. That's all I'm focused on. I'm not thinking about my work at all. I'm purely focused on being the best possible possible professional lacrosse player I can and how I'm going to do that. 
right? And then when that period ends, I really put lacrosse out of my mind for the next, you know, however many hours where I'm focused on work. And, and my goal then is to be the best possible, you know, employee I can or student I can in, in, uh, for the case of your, your student athletes. And, and I kind of structure my day like that. I think it's so important to really break down into chunks your day and focus just on the task at hand. I mean, I found that to be huge um, for me, just in terms of I'm going on my 10th season now of, of, of pro lacrosse, which is crazy to think, but just in terms of, of keeping with it and, 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 and continuing to improve. And, and I mean, for college guys and, and high school guys that matter who have pro lacrosse aspirations, uh, you know, I'm most impressed with the guys who continue to get better. And the only way you do that is by setting goals for yourself and, and focusing your training to get better based on those goals. And so what's interesting, you know, I was talking to the, the JD high school guys uh, uh, just last week and um, coach uh, and coach Archer and coach bliss and the team around. And we were talking about that, you know, typically as you get older, you kind of have to put the responsibility on your own shoulders of, of like making sure, right. Cause there's no one watching over you when you're training in pro lacrosse, you're by yourself for most of the year and no one's going to care if you lift or if you run or if you do anything, or if you touch your stick, that's all on you and guys who don't do it fit a lot quickly when you're in high school and you're in college, you usually have coaches and, and, uh, teachers and everyone looking over, you know, breathing down your neck, you have to do the work whether you want to or not. And so high school and, and college athletes right now are in a really unique and, and kind of different position. And they're forced to mature and grow up a little bit earlier uh, where they're at home and there's no one watching to see if they're improving. And so, you know, what I'm personally trying to do right now, especially is, is I got more time for to train than I've ever had um, since I've entered pro lacrosse just by nature of cutting out my commute and, and that sort of thing. And so, I'm making a goal to have the best stick I've ever had uh, come this, come our, our championship series. And uh, it's the, you know, for guys at home, man, I mean, I got to tell you, like no one's happy our season got canceled, but this is an opportunity you're never going to have again in terms of just uh, so much time to improve and make yourself a better player next time you step on the field. It's, it's great yeah. advice. And I think too, it's, it's funny to think about you're one of the old dogs on the block. Now you're not the young buck like you used to be. So um, <laughs> yeah, man, come, come a long way since you were a senior. And I was, I was trying to scrap onto the varsity team as a freshman. <laughs> I know, but back then I could just bully you around with some weight. So you had that old man strength, man. You couldn't right. do about it. He's backing you down. <laughs> uh, so speaking about conditioning and training, let's not get into uh, Andrew's regimen. Let's, uh, <laughs> Let's focus back on you, Brian. If you're giving advice to the young guys and talking about an opportunity of training, are there any particular indoor drills? I know you spent a lot of time in the cold and a lot of time uh, in upstate New York there, uh, maybe having to do a couple of creative drills that uh, don't require a lot of space that might lend themselves to uh, people who can't run outside and play in the park like maybe they're used to. Yeah, yeah. So indoors is tough. I got to put a caveat. I don't, I don't want to get a call from any parents mad about breaking a window inside. Um, <laughs> but, but I think... I, I think like, you know, honestly, the best advice I can give for indoor stuff is just keep your stick in your hand. I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. The more your sticks in your hand, the more comfortable you're going to be with it. What I do now is, is even when I'm working, when I'm thinking through something, right, I'll have my stick in my hand just cradling and I'll just throw ground balls off of my radiator inside of my house and, and just kind of get used to coming, you know, kind of has funny bounces off my radiator and just used to handling the ball and just kind of screwing around. But no matter what you're doing, if you're watching TV or or whatever it is, just having your stick in your hand and standing up and cradling and just kind of messing around with your stick. It seems silly, but it pays huge dividends. The other thing is you don't need a ton of space to, you know, to, to improve your stick. Like, obviously I don't need to tell people listening to, to this podcast, the importance of wall ball, but you don't need to have a park to go out and, and find, you know, just a 
brick or cement wall or, or somewhere like anywhere, just a little bit of space to just keep your stick in your hand and just practice reps. I mean, what I'm doing is I try to, I, I just say, I'm going to do 500 touches a day on the wall, which is what my routine is. No matter what I'm going to get in 500 touches. And so when I look at it like that, then I, it really becomes easy. I mean, it's about 15 or 20 minutes, um, maybe even faster if you've got a better stick than me. And it's, and it's you, and it's amazing the dividends that will pay if, if you do that. Absolutely. And uh, for those listening at home, one of the first pieces of wall ball advice I ever received from a coach was never put your phone number on a lacrosse wall. <laughs> that's, that's a really good piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I definitely remember breaking a couple of windows trying to do that at my, my parents' house and my dad not being thrilled about it. <laughs> my best one was when I was living down in in uh in bolivia in 2014 i was training for my preseason down there i was down there doing um uh some non-lacrosse related work and so i was doing it outside. i was living in an apartment at the time and doing wall ball outside of the apartment and i gotta tell you what the lady who lived above me i've never heard someone scream louder first of all she had no <laughs> idea what a lacrosse stick was but opening up the window and yelling down to shut up whatever that weird apparatus was that i had in my hand no one was more thrilled to see me go than that woman when i flew back to the states uh that's great well i think to that same point brian can you give us maybe a a funny story or a cool memory from we'll just we'll keep it to your villanova days of something that might have happened with you and your team that is just something that you'd like to share with everybody that maybe they don't know about man you were putting me on the spot here with that one a a, a cooler (laughs) funny memory from my from my my villanova days we'll keep it to on the field (laughs) To keep keep it the to, you said keep it to on the field yeah keep well, that way we keep you out of trouble you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that that makes it easier one that sticks out is is a cool one is we I remember uh, my sophomore year we were playing Towson and we I think we the program had never beaten Towson um, is, is what it was and so one of our captains decided it'd be a brilliant idea to put shirts uh, to make shirts for the entire team to wear in warm ups that said end it um, as an end the streak uh, to goad them. And I thought it was the absolute worst idea ever. I thought they're just going to get pissed <laughs> off and crush us like they have apparently for every time we ever played them. But we won that game after that incredibly bold, um, that incredibly bold move um, from the captain who, uh, who, who organized it. And we went on and turned around to, to end up winning the conference that year. So that, that's in terms of, of, of cool, of one of the cooler memories I remember of something that was a little different and a bold move that I would never have thought of that actually paid off big time in the end. Yeah, that's it. That's really bold calling your shot. Oh man, beforehand, yeah, I don't know, not not my <laughs> typical style, but it it worked, so can't say anything. I remember when we were uh, when I was coaching with the University of St. Thomas, we went to uh, the club national title game, and one of the coaches had printed out all the national title shirts, like champion shirts, before we even left to go to the field. So we had the championship shirts just in a cardboard box, unlabeled in the locker room, for the guys, and. Like halfway through the first quarter, we were down a couple of goals, and and he just looks at me. He's like, "I hope I didn't waste all that money on those t-shirts." <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happens? You guys, you guys take the, the time we, uh, we, yeah, we managed to turn it around with a little uh, third quarter run, but uh, yeah, <laughs> a little hair raising for him there for a minute. Oh man, yeah, if you're gonna print them up ahead of time, you better you better be certain. <laughs> Don't even open the box; just mail them directly to whatever, whichever, wherever they send all the. Uh, Buffalo Bills championship gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've been gathering those ones over the years just so when it finally does happen, I'm going to be ahead. <laughs> Buying them off of eBay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just start putting in with Sharpie however many extra X's I need for, for a number of years I've been collecting them. Oh, man. Can you Please. think of any particular drills that you run, that you ran, super memorable in terms of just things that got you excited when you were on the field, um, just as a player, just somebody who, like, that drill happened, it, it meant it was going to be a good day. If it, Ones that were planned or ones that I think? Well, ones, uh, that, ones that were planned or ones when you found out that that was the drill that was going to go on, all of a sudden it seems like practice turned on for you. Cool, yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, I, I think two stick out for me. Uh, one of them is, is the West Jenny drill, um, which, uh, I think, I mean, is it called West Jenny drill everywhere? Or is that just like an upstate thing? Uh, pretty uh, much I, everywhere. I think okay. a lot of people everywhere. I've heard it called basketball drill a mm-hmm. couple places, but I think it's pretty much West Jenny drill about 95% of the world. Okay. All right. That, that's, that's good to know, man. That drill, I got to tell you, like, is there anyone who doesn't get excited when that drill is on the practice plan? It's just the Goalies. best drill. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. <laughs> you mean you don't like getting hit with seven, eight balls in a row before you have time to reset? Uh, it's so awesome because it's just, I mean, I think as both a player and a coach, it's great because you just get a chance. It's just fast pace. It's, it's lacrosse at its best. It's fast pace. It's up and down from one end to the other, quick stick movement. And you're playing offense, you're playing defense, and especially as a defensive guy, I mean, the chance to get involved in the in the transition is is you know is the best. And you know, again, from the goalie perspective, not so much. But when you're a long pole and you can crank from from seven yards out with your pole, <laughs> and, and finally feel like an offensive guy. Yeah, um, no, I think I think that's the part that the goalies find offensive. The, uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's just so good. It is a coach. I think it's awesome too because you. I, I is from a coaching end. I love running it mostly because I just get such a kick out of the guys who do it, who who come up for these crank shots from from five six yards, and then I remind them why they play defense. But it's so good in terms of stick skills and such such. I mean, it's really just an awesome drill. The other one goes back to my my high school days to JD, and we used to end fifty virtually, fours. What's that? Fifty fours. 54s, man. I was just going to say, you remember them? Yeah. It was to end like every day with 54s, offense versus defense. And I think here was the key. You had to make it into a competition. You played games, depending on our time, to usually 7 or 10. Offense got a goal. If offense got a point, if they scored, defense had a point if they cleared it. So it didn't have to be a stop. Ball went out of bounds and continued to play until they cleared it to the midfield line. And, man, Andrew, I I don't like – I just – it's hard for me to think of any times in my lacrosse career where I've gotten more jacked up than when that drill was tied at six to six or nine to nine. It was game point and defense offense were flying around. And it's the, I mean, it is such a good drill for development. And I realize that now, but it's also so much fun um, just to have that. I remember that drill specifically. And I remember like getting the assist or scoring the goal to like win it when it was tied. And like having dog piles, like we just won the state championship. Oh my God. Like <laughs> that was the level of competition and excitement we got about it. And I think the other key to that drill too, that's really unique is usually people do 54s. They do three attack and three D and like a two V one from up top Yep. for this to do the two attack two D behind in a three V two ground ball to start it. I thought just gives you so much of the ability to practice that scramble drill and unsettled that it brought so much to that drill. But, no, the competition side of it was just like a game. 
That's such a good point. I, I completely agree. Running it with the three v two up top, I think is is definitely the way to go. That's you're right. I didn't wouldn't even have thought about that about why that makes it so much better. But that's exactly it. And it's great. I mean, offense has to move the ball. Defense has to rotate. Um, but you're right, man. I, I remember the dog piles. I remember specifically is a my senior year. We had a guy on the team, one of the best team guys. Uh, his name was Monsoor. He played maybe a year or two of lacrosse, so he was still pretty new. And, you know, at that point, I thought it was, you know, tough stuff going off to play in, in college and all that sort of thing. And we came down to one of the last practices of the year before the state championship. And he caught the ball I was playing down low on the 5v4 drill. And rather than move it, he kind of faked the pass and face dodged me and dunked it on the crease, like his first, second year playing with uh, the sport. And to your point, Andrew, now the team erupted more after that than we did after winning the States. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> awesome. I, I, and even though I was on the, I still get teased about that when I, when I talk to my friends now about that, uh, about losing that one of the last ones ever of my uh, career based on a uh, Monsoor's lethal face. Dog. <laughs> well, and just some context for that, you guys won the first state title that the school had had since 1986. So it had been like a 30-year drought. It had been, yeah. Now I feel like they're winning them every, every other year, basically. Yeah. I know. So, it's... no, that for the context of how people got hyped for it, and I think, you know, if you can get any drill in practice, you know, coaches out there, whatever else, if you can get people to buy in competitively where they care more about winning and supporting their teammates than anything else, like you're going to get something out of it. I, 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 I completely agree. I mean, I, I always think, like, the best teams are the ones where their hardest days, their most competitive days, their practices, where you just you make each other better every day. And, and across the board, I feel like every team I've ever been a part of, that's always been the difference between a good and a great team. Well, and I'm, I mean, I credit myself to some of your development when you know when you had to cover me behind the cage. I'm sure that's you know very similar to having to cover you know Matt Rambo. That's it, man. That's it. You actually, you guys have a fairly similar play style. You just put that shoulder down, bull dodge through the net. Yeah, man, it's 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 eerily it's eerily similar now that you put it. That you're right. That is your like the modern day you on the field out there. Brian, you're gonna have to be like careful. I might not be able to walk through my this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have. Daily's ego will be taking the rest of this uh, the time up for today. <laughs> uh, who, who, I'm, I'm curious. You got the better of you two in practice when uh, when when. Andrew, you were shooting, and you were saving. Uh, usually, well, it, it depends how close we were. I wasn't allowed to shoot outside of like four yards. So, <laughs> if he was I falling in the crease, he was usually that. scoring on me. The, uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anything outside of like six yards, I got stuffed pretty regularly. Luckily, I could get inside six, seven yards though. So that's all right. It's like it's like uh, <laughs> old school basketball, like Will Chamberlain style, just turning down low. That's right. Work. It's got to get to the rim. That's it. <laughs> so, so in the last two minutes, you've compared him to uh, Matt Rambo and Will Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah, good point. You're right. I might need. I might need to. I might need to reel back here a little bit. <laughs> I think they have a down day though, Brian. So you I need really to bring more. Well, the beauty of this is that Brian watched me stop playing after my senior year of high school. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't have any more perspective on where my game went from that. So. <laughs> continue to continue to evolve and, and get better, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the scout said. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brian, are you like uh, so many other Villanova alumni? 
one of those guys who just went to the school and absolutely loved it. What is it about that place? Man, I, you know, I don't, it's just that it really is just a, a school that has just a, a great built in community. Um, and so, and you know, I only speak from my experiences from, from a lacrosse guy, but one of the things that, that really attracted me to the school, well, two things really attracted me to the school. The first thing is that everywhere I used to go on recruiting visits, I was so self-conscious about being undersized as a defenseman because so many coaches were telling me I needed to get bigger, yada, yada, yada. That like when I'd go on visits, I would wear intentionally like a double XL hoodie so that it hard how big the size, like how big I was. And when I got to Villanova, I remember mentioning something to the coach, uh, Coach Corrado, and saying like, yeah, I know I need to put on a little weight, just kind of like attacking it off preemptively. And he was like, what do you mean? He's like, you've been successful at your size. Well, I don't care. And I, I remember really, really liking that. And, and that was one of the first things that attracted me to the school. Um, but the second thing to your question is that what Coach Corrado and Coach, Coach uh, Connor do there, which that I love and that they preach from the beginning, is they really preach balance. And I mean, as you guys know, it's so tough to not have lacrosse take over your life as a student athlete. Um, and they didn't want that. They, they kept things short and to the point. We had really you know efficient practices. We didn't do overkill on, on the film. And I'm kind of a more, you know, I know this is more of the upstate style, but just kind of, you know, roll the ball out and, and let's go to work, be a little bit more free flow. You don't need to script everything. And, you know, don't get me wrong. We did a ton of game planning and lifting and like every other college program, but they encourage you to do things outside of lacrosse. I mean, I, I know, you know, as my sophomore through senior year, I, I regularly had to miss a, a, a practice a week to, to do, um, to work at this prison that I was volunteering at because it was something that interested me. And, you know, I knew I'm, want to do some sort of like criminal law in the future and they support it fully. And so I think that's one of the reasons that guys, especially the cross players love it there is because of the culture, the coaches have built in terms of it not being like, you know, this, you do lacrosse, you do schoolwork, you do nothing else. They're incredibly devoted to, to developing well-rounded student athletes. And so I think that's one reason that I rave about it. And, and I know a lot of my teammates do too. Uh, th- that's all plausible. I still want to see this dining hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. The shorter answer, amazing omelets. At the, at the dining hall. <laughs> I, I think the other thing there, Brian, also to take out of your answer that I, I really like to hear was, you know, how many guys do you hear out there that are looking to go and really have D1 dreams or, you know, want to go to a, a big time D3 school and, whether you're attack, a midi, a goalie, or a defender, they get told they're too small. And so for someone like you that's been a 10-time, you know, been a pro 10 years, a seven-time all-star, and, you know, has more accolades than, you know, we can count, to say that that was a, something that you also were a little bit discouraged about, about your own size, I think that's, you know, very humbling of yourself to admit that, but also will go a long way with some of these younger players that might hear that and think, you know, oh, I'm too small. But – you're not always too small. You can find your niche. You can, you know, improve your areas, other areas to make sure you can still find a spot and, you know, be successful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's exactly right. That's the beauty about lacrosse is I truly think, I mean, it's one of the few sports where you can be any, you know, size and shape, you know, and we're, and, and excel. Like if you have a motor and you have, and you're skilled and those are all things that are in your control. And, and I, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a weightlifting competition. Uh, I was in my, we used to break up into groups in college for based on, for more efficient lifts, based on how much you could lift just to get through sets quicker. And all four years, I didn't advance out of the worst group. <laughs> and, or, or, and it doesn't matter. It's just, 
that stuff's important. I, I believe strongly in the importance of strength and conditioning work outside of the field in terms of developing your skills. But when it gets on the field, I mean, man, it's all about who wants it worse in lacrosse. If you have good skills and you're a competitor, you, the sky's the limit in this sport. Absolutely. Well, Brian, I, I don't really have too many other questions for you. And uh, don't worry, the check's out later for the comparisons for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's better not um, get edited out. <laughs> well, then Andrew's going to have to figure out how to use computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't do the editing. So uh, I say might be, but um, I, I really appreciate having you on. And it was great catching up with you. And, you know, it's, it, I really think it's awesome that the PLL is going to be happen in some form this summer. And I'm really excited to watching you and watching it happen. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Great having you on. Thanks for listening to Straight from the Gold Mouth. We'd love it if you could leave us a review and share with your friends in the lacrosse community. If you have ideas for content that you want to hear on future episodes, or if you think you'd make a great guest, hit us up on Twitter, at FromGoldmouth. We'll be back every Monday with a new episode. Catch you next time.